The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Thank you so much for joining us online today here at Summit Church. I want to thank Chad and Nathan. The last two weeks as I've been on vacation, they came in, filled in a wonderful way, kept us going through the Gospel of Luke. We're in the sixth chapter still. There's been kind of a switch, if you've noticed, if you've been following along with us. Uh, Jesus is teaching now. He's in the Sermon on the Mount, or at least Luke's version of that There are beautiful, beautiful teachings about how Jesus interprets the Old Testament law. That's the idea. He's giving us his idea. He's giving us his yoke, his his understanding of the Old Testament law. And he's doing so in a way that I believe could transform our lives. But, but before we go any further today... I need you to understand that the teaching, the teaching we're going to look at is quite possibly one of the most difficult in all of Scripture. And here's why I say that. I've thought, I've thought this week, what what does Jesus say? What does Jesus ask of us that could be harder than what he teaches today? And while I'm sure there's a few other things, I, I thought of one, just maybe one that's a little bit more difficult for us to interpret, for us to understand, for us to apply. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this, uh, verses 25 and 27. He said to the large crowds who were traveling with him, turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me, and does not hate their father and their mother, wife and their children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, okay? If they don't hate that, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, that teaching is incredibly difficult, and obviously it's in Luke, so we will get there in a year or so. We'll, we'll get to that verse. But even in this passage, even in Luke chapter 14, what Jesus is simply saying there is, is count the cost. Before you say you're in, just know what it's going to cost you. It, it could cost you everything to follow me. So I want to know that you know that. I want you to weigh that out and decide whether or not you want to follow me. That's a very, very difficult teaching. That is a very hard concept to understand. But yet we come to Luke chapter 6 today, verses 27 through 36, and we see, we see a passage that will, without a doubt, dig at your emotions. It will, without a doubt, make you second guess why. Why is this something that God requires of me? It will ultimately leave you making a choice whether or not you're going to obey or disobey the teachings of Jesus. That's what the Bible does. So that that will happen today. It'll make you ask, do you think Jesus knows what he's talking about when he says you need to love your enemies? That's what we're talking about today. This whole passage is Jesus teaching from the Sermon on the Mount about loving those who hurt us, about loving those who we stand opposed to, about loving our enemies. And all of those feelings and all those emotions, because I know every one of you watching today, you come 
to this topic with different baggage. Even the person who has the best life ever, you have faced someone who stood opposed to you and had to figure out how you were going to treat that person. And then there's others listening today who have been hurt in the most horrific of ways, who have been victimized by people in this world, and you hear Jesus, someone that you want to love, someone that you want to follow, someone that loves you, but you hear him say, you must now love that person. It becomes real. It becomes tangible. It becomes something you have to decide. Am I going to believe this or not? Am I going to think that Jesus knows what he's talking about and knows what's best for me? Or am I going to say, uh-uh to that? That is not what I came to do today. Loving our enemies. It's a huge, huge, central piece of Jesus' teaching. And I had a, had a Bible college professor say, there's some sermons where you need to warn your people to put their helmets on because it's going to be a rough ride. So I'm warning you. Just fairly, right now, before we get started, put your helmet on. This one's going to be a rough ride because the lesson that Jesus has for us today is at the core of who God is. He shows compassion and mercy to those who do not love him back. He chooses to do that because God is for you. And then he says, because I'm for people, I need you to be for people, even your enemies. So with that warning, put your helmet on. Here we go. Luke chapter 6, we'll just read the first verse, verse 27. We are to be for everyone because God is for everyone, even our enemies. Read with me. But to you who are listening, Jesus is still continuing his sermon, so if you're still with him, if you're still listening, I say this, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. The word love there in the Greek is agape, okay? Agape love means a genuine concern for someone. I want you to have a genuine concern for your enemies. It's not a romantic love. Okay? It's just a genuine concern for your enemies. He's saying, I want you to do this. I don't want you to hate them. I don't want you to seek revenge. I don't want you to make their circumstances matter because you care for them. Whatever they've done to you, however they've wronged you, you take those circumstances and you put them aside and you care for them. I'm going to say this over and over and over and over and over again today. Nothing about this teaching is easy. It is not easy to love your enemy. But let's continue to unpack it. Verse 28. Bless those who curse you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Now, let's unpack a couple of those words. Bless those who curse you. That means to invoke evil upon you. Okay, it doesn't mean voodoo, like, you know, dolls and that kind of, no, that's not, that's not it. It's not that. They just invoke evil. They, they are wishing evil upon you. 
What are you supposed to do to that person? They haven't touched you. They haven't stolen anything from you yet, but, but they just invoke evil upon you. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to bless them. You're supposed to ask the favor of God upon them. That, that's difficult. For those who mistreat you, you are supposed to pray for them. To mistreat means to insult or threaten. So someone who insults you or threatens you, here's your response. To love them, you are to pray for them. I've been in ministry more than long enough. I've been insulted and threatened by a bunch of people. People who have come after me justifiably or unjustifiably. And I will be very honest with you. I'm going to be honest throughout the whole day here. I very rarely think to pray for that person first. I get upset. I try to go to wise counsel to try to justify my actions. I try to think, are they crazy? What's wrong with them? Why, why are they saying this? Very rarely have I ever chosen, first off, those who mistreat me to pray for them, to stop, to get on my knees and ask God to move on behalf of them to ask the power of God to be unleashed in their life in a good way. And this isn't a sarcastic prayer like, oh, bless their stupid hearts. That's not the prayer that Jesus is referring to. You know that, and I know that. So that's not what it's talking about. This is saying truly asking for God to move in their life. Very, very rarely have I ever done that. So I just want to be honest with you, but the few times I have, the few times I have, maybe out of wisdom, maybe out of frustration, but the few times I have, I have felt immediate healing in that relationship. There's something powerful that happens when someone insults you. And instead of retaliating, you pray. You pray for them by name and genuinely want God to do something exceptional in their life. It, it's powerful and it's healing, but, but I'll say it again. It's not easy. It's not easy to do. Verse 29, things are about to get physical, okay? Verse 29, if someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If someone takes your coat, steals your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Now, Church, there is a ton of heated debate among scholars as to whether or not verse 29 is to be interpreted literally or figuratively. If someone hits you, are you really supposed to let them hit you again? Someone steals from you, are you supposed to come back and go, hey, you forgot to grab this, there's more. Because of how absurd that sounds, I am nearly certain, 99% certain, that this passage is to be interpreted figuratively. This is a figurative message. I do not think that God looks at you and says, in order to love someone the way that I love them, you have to let them hit you twice or rob you twice. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, okay? But, but, I do believe this. I think the message, I think the message is that in order for us to refrain from doing evil, in order for us to love well, we must often suffer evil at the hands of other people. 
We must allow bad things to happen to us at, at, because of the actions of others. We need to allow that so that we do not then step into sin in our retaliation. So here's my interpretation of this. What Jesus is saying, if you want to love your enemy, do not retaliate. Do not pursue your pound of flesh. Don't do that. Instead, if someone hurts you, look at that person and realize this truth. Most often, it's hurt people that hurt people. Very seldom is someone going to come after you just because they want to hurt you. They're coming after you because they are already hurt. Not necessarily by you, but by something else. There's an opportunity there for reconciliation. There's an opportunity there for growth. There's an opportunity there for peace and for hope. Hurt people hurt people. And so I think Jesus is saying to love your enemy means when they hurt you, you don't try to hurt them back. You feel sorry. You show grace. You show love. If someone steals from you, you realize they probably needed it worse than you. Now, I know that's not law. That's not the biblical truth. Some of you are like, if someone steals from me, I don't got nothing. They can't just take my stuff. I get that. But, but just think for a minute about how God gives all that he has and asks nothing in return. Just think for that. Just think about it for just a second. And then realize if, if someone were to steal from you, as, as much as that would infuriate you, man, they must have needed it. Man. I don't think I did. I've been robbed twice. Once is... A teenage boy, my house got broken into. Most, one of the most terrifying things ever. Came home from a vacation. Everything had been ransacked. Stuff had been taken. It was very victimizing. It felt terrible. The cops came and said, we know exactly who did it. They're juveniles. We can, we can go talk to them. But, it, I mean, nothing's really going to happen. And I remember my parents, who weren't necessarily followers of Christ at that time, they were just like, well, if, if they needed it that bad, they can have it. My, my parents understood this, and they, they weren't following Jesus. They just said, if, if they need that couple hundred dollars and that piece of jewelry, and I mean, it stinks, and, and we feel like we got wronged, but we're, we don't need them to go spend the rest of their life in jail over this. <laughs> we, I walked out of a restaurant one time, and the passenger side window of my car had been busted out, and Paige, my wife, her purse had been taken off the floorboard. Don't leave your purse visible in your car when you go in a restaurant. But um, when that happened, I remember the only thing, the only thing I was so angry about, because what they got out of that purse was nothing. We canceled the credit cards. There was a few dollars in it. But the, the only thing they got was maybe worth 20 bucks. But they busted out my window. That cost me $200 to fix. And the door was open. Now, I remember that was the only thing I was mad about. Like, just check the handle first next time before you break the window. How do we respond when people come after us? How do we allow God's love to show through us? I don't think Jesus is saying, allow yourself to be beaten. I don't think he's saying, allow yourself to be stolen from. That's not at all what he's saying. I think he's saying, protect your stuff, protect yourself. But he's saying, if it happens, then just understand, understand that that person probably is going through something and that person probably needs help and you probably as a follower of Christ should be the one that shows them that kind of love. Verse 30 just repeats this concept. 
It says, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. I told you, put your helmet on, church. This is not an easy sermon. This is not an easy message. Look at, look at that. If anyone who asks of you, you should give. Anyone who takes from you, just let it happen. Don't demand it back. Why would you do something like that? I, I think there's only one reason. Because you know that everything you have is not your own, it's God's. I think Jesus is teaching kingdom principles here. And I don't think he's requiring us to allow ourselves to be victimized. I don't think that's the teaching. I think he's saying, if someone takes what's yours, if someone asks for what's yours, it's not yours. It's mine. Allow them to have it. Because I've got you. I've got you. I think that's the principle here. But, once again, not easy. Not easy to apply. Verse 31, summary. Summary thus far of what Jesus is teaching. Here we go. Do to others as you would have them do to you. You're like, that sounds vaguely familiar. It's the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I cannot tell you how hard we are trying to teach our three boys this rule, this concept. How should you treat someone in that situation? Well, they did this to me and they, okay. How would you like to be treated? Well, I would like to, to be, yes. So treat them the way you want to be treated. It's the best parenting tool I've ever seen because it makes perfect sense even to a four-year-old. How do you want to be treated? The golden rule, the golden rule breaks down boundaries between friends and enemies. Everyone is treated the same, the same way God treats us. He doesn't see friend and enemy. He just sees someone he loves. How do you want to be treated? Matthew 7, verse 12, same kind of idea, okay, Sermon on the Mount still, here's what Matthew records so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. The entire Old Testament of how you're supposed to treat someone else can be summed up in this simple way. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The entire Old Testament. All of those, all of those laws about how we're supposed to engage with people, it can be summed up in that way. Just treat them the way you want to be treated. You know this. You've been told this since you were a child. But it's not easy. I want, this is me. I'm talking about Todd. I want the benefit of the doubt. Okay, if you come at me and just assume I'm guilty, that's going to set me off. I want the benefit of the doubt. Until I, it's proven that I'm wrong, I want the benefit of the doubt. That's something I want. I want to be shown compassion even when I'm wrong. That's what I want. I'm not saying it's right, but I want to be shown compassion even when I'm wrong. Hey, I, I will admit it, but please, please, you don't need to just 
come down on me. I want to be shown compassion even when I'm wrong. I want to be forgiven if I seek it. If I ask for your forgiveness, if I genuinely desire to make amends for what I've done wrong, I would love to be given that forgiveness. That's how I want to be treated. That's how I expect to be treated. Therefore, that's how I should treat others. Treat others the way you expect to be treated. It's a simple rule. It's a golden rule. But boy, it's not easy. Jesus will continue. He's going to tell his listeners, don't be deceived by thinking that you love people the way I do. Okay, I've called you to love your enemy, but don't be deceived by thinking that what you're doing is love. And, And he'll explain here, chapter 6, verses 32 through 34. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good for those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. Three things there, okay? Loving because you're loved, doing good because good has been done for you, and lending not just expecting that the loan will be repaid, but that then that person will be in your debt, meaning that the next time you need something, they owe you. That, that's what Jesus is talking about here. Because I, I do want to clarify just real quick, in this, if you lend money to someone, lend them $20, don't charge interest, but if they pay, if they pay you back the 20 bucks, that, that's fine. That's not unloving. But giving someone 20 bucks and saying, okay, once you pay me back, now the next time you, you owe me, you owe me a favor, I, I got you now. I, I did good for you. So, so next time, that's selfish. That's not loving. That's not sacrificial. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, it makes, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good to do good for others. But I will be candid. I told you I was going to be candid throughout this entire message. There are many times that the way I treat someone is heavily influenced by what I think that person could maybe do for me in return. My love, my good deeds, my generosity. Hey, if I do this, maybe they'll do something back for me. Maybe someone else will see it and think how awesome I am. And what Jesus is saying is that that's not sacrificial love. That's not biblical love. That's not truly loving anyone. That's serving yourself. Even though what you're doing is good, okay? What you're doing is good. It's not sin to do, any, to do good, okay, to lend. It's, those are not sinful things. But the heart behind them matters. And don't think you're loving someone just because you love someone that loves you, do good to someone that does good to you, lend to someone who you're going to then be able to put in your debt. Don't, don't think you're doing good with that. No, that, that doesn't work. There's no sacrifice there, and God loves through sacrifice. So he goes on to say this, but instead love like God does. And, and here's verses 35 and 36. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. 
do good to them. Not just the people who are good to you, not just, person, not just the people who love you, your enemies. Love them, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then, and then if you do that, if you love like God loves, then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. You'll be a child of God because He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. God is for all people. So we need to be for people. God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. And church, here's what I need you to understand. If you're listening today, you are being taught by one of the wicked and you are one of the wicked, and God is kind to you. He's kind to those who are ungrateful. And so we're getting to the why. We're getting to the why God can ask us to do something so crazy, so hard. Why could God ask us to love our enemy? Because he loves you. He loves me. That's why you can ask that, verse 36. Be merciful. Be merciful to people just as your Father is merciful. Just as God is merciful to you. The children of God need to love in the way they've been shown love. They need to love completely and without exception or expecting return for that. God loves us knowing that many of us will look at his love and just reject it, yet he still loves. We need to love in that same way. We need to love the ungrateful and the wicked. I'm not sure who's hurt you. I'm not sure who in your life is ungrateful of the many things that you've done for them. I'm not sure in your life who has treated you with evil, who's mistreated you, insulted you, hurt you. I'm not sure who's done that, but I'm certain that many of you listening today are crippled right now by the reminder of those people and what they've done, and you're being called now by God to forgive and to love. For what purpose? Because he loves you, because he's shown you mercy. It's not easy. It's not easy. But it's been shown to you. And therefore, I believe God has the right to ask us to show mercy to others. Because while you were still a sinner, Jesus died for you. That gives him the right to ask you to love your enemy because he loved you. This is an incredibly difficult teaching, but it's actually very simple to understand the why. It's God's love for you that allows him to ask that you love others in the way that he loves you. In the light of the fact that he has loved you as a child, and by you loving others, that reflects his love and his glory. That's why he gets to do it. So I, I ask just a few questions. Who do you need to love the way God's loved you? It may be incredibly difficult, but I bet the name of the person is 
very evident. In the same vein, what enemy can you pray for? What, what enemy do you have right now that you can pray for that God would unleash his power and his provision and his mercy upon their life? Maybe that enemy becomes a friend when God radically transforms them from the inside out because of your prayer. How can you better experience the love of God today in hopes that that love will then pour out to those whose lives you come into contact with? I told you to put your helmet on. I told you this was going to be a tough one. And for those of you right now who just want to go hide from this, I beg that you do not. Because once again, the person with the greatest life still has someone that they would categorize as an enemy. And God says, I need you to love that enemy because I love that enemy. I need you to be for them because I'm for them. And I just pray today that the grace of God will pour over your heart, that you will feel the fullness of his love so that you can love those who have hurt you, so that you can hear the word of God today and apply it, and not just chalk it up as a message that you're going to let sit in the wayside, because, because this love, this is the kind of love that God has shown you. So I pray you show it to others. Father, help us see your love and your power and your might and your mercy. Give us the grace and the power that we need to show that love and that mercy to others. Help us, Lord, to love our enemies. Help us to love the way you love us. It's in your name we pray.